Hi, and welcome to Second Rate Film School. I'm Andrew. I'm Jake. And I'm Jacob. And today we're reviewing 1996's Mars Attacks. Are we really reviewing it? Or commentating on it. Okay. Hold on, I think we have to pause this endeavor and discuss it for a couple hours now. I wonder if Lockjaw is a real town. Because it just said four miles away from Lockjaw, Kansas. I don't know, I didn't do that kind of research. So, uh... (laughs) This is going great. So this is a good movie, I feel like. Yeah. Let's get the ball rolling on that. Yeah, let's get the ball rolling on this. So when you put this DVD in for the first time, it immediately starts playing instead of going to the menu. This is a frequent attribute of many DVDs from this time period. Maybe you think because they were afraid of people not being able to work a DVD menu? I think so. Yeah. It was a groundbreaking technology back then. Yeah, I remember like a lot of early DVDs would have that where it would be like directions on how to use your DVD player. So... Um, now, going back to the movie, though, I've only ever, like, prior to us watching this on the DVD to, like, like go over and, like, re- reacquaint ourselves with the movies, I'd only ever seen this movie, like, on TBS or TNT as it plays, like, a shit ton of times, or mm-hmm. at least when I was growing up. So, I'd legitimately never seen the opening with, like, the cows, like, running by flaming. I usually come in around the... Um, time of like the first massacre at the military base that was always like the first time so this is still reasonably new to me and i enjoy it it's a very solid opening mission statement yeah well it's great i mean to burn uh, in all of his movies pretty much he, he always has this pretty great opening credit sequence that really sets the tone of the film and it's always really well stylized in accordance to to the tone in the story just always very it's very creative all the time he hasn't made one one lackluster one i feel like yeah, my personal favorite is um, from two years prior to this, so 1994 for Ed Wood, where oh, going yeah. through all the different Ed Wood movies, they touch upon it, and, and, and much like this, you know, the great Danny Elfman score, in that case, like a theremin, so makes you feel very 50s-y. Yeah, this is a great score. This is when Danny Elfman was at his peak. This is yeah. a pretty overlooked score. I mean, just like the movie, but no one really mentions this when, when it comes to Danny Elfman's uh, filmography. Yeah, the main theme especially really makes this particular scene, the opening yeah. credits. As we're now in minute 30 of the opening credits because there are that many goddamn people in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because several of these actors that are famous now weren't even at the time. Yeah. Like, uh, like Jack Black and Natalie Portman, who were more up and coming at this point. For sure. What about Lucas Haas? What's he doing now? This was definitely the height of his career. Yeah. He was in like the Pussy Posse with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire and a lot of those young actors. They would go out and get laid. That's why they call themselves the Pussy Posse. (laughs) Oh, that's why they call them. Yes! I just thought they liked cats. The the movie. Uh, Well, Lucas Haas was an inception. Yeah, he was in the opening. Briefly. Yeah, he was in the opening scene. That's all. I, oh, he's in Brick. He's the he's the pen. That's all I really remember. Oh. So as we just saw in the credits, this is actually based on a series of trading cards. Yeah, I actually um looked up like to like look up the history of the trading cards and like I saw like someone online like published um like all of them so you could like read through them and like they're pretty graphic for the time you know that's a lot of them were banned so a lot of the cards are like pretty pricey because 
a lot of shops just like saw these and said they refused to carry them. Yeah, I was gonna say there was some censorship, right? Yeah. And they've done like sequels and like rebrandings and rerun hmm. issues of them over the years. So it's still a um popular brand and um I think it works obviously without it. Like, you know, other than seeing the opening credits, you know, I didn't know this was based off a trading card set growing up, but it still works and it, it's very interesting because obviously this movie's a send up to like 50s b movies and sci-fi movies but it's also kind of a loving tribute also to a very specific part of the 1950s atomic age um sci-fi so it's interesting you get a broad but also very focused look into the genre it's just interesting that that would come from the series of trading cards you know um it's like a thing where you have these trading cards that are inherently irreverent and you're able to build this satirical alien film just around like what's like a very basic premise. Yeah, yeah. Satirical is the key word here. I think I do believe this is Tim Burton's cinematic diatribe against humanity. Yeah. He just kept muttering, "I hate humans" under his breath every take. Yeah, I mean, notice in this movie how everyone's terrible and irredeemable except the loner kid who looks a little like Tim Burton and his grandmother, and then Pam Greer and her family. Those are the only ones who are redeemable in the end. Yeah, basically, yeah. only the the weirdo outsiders are the redeemable ones. You got a bit of a, a Stephen King thing here, where you're either a loner or an irredeemable monster. <laughs> it works here, though. It's yeah. not like it's incidental like Stephen King sometimes, though. Here, here it's actually part of the point. Hence why... <laughs> All the irredeemable people we keep talking about are basically all the famous actors. That's sort yeah. of the joke. Well, it's amazing, and we'll get more into like how quickly some of these characters are just killed off. Like, you know, Michael J. Fox, <laughs> like especially like that that blew my mind as a child who grew up with Back to the Future. Just like he's on screen for like two minutes and is like immediately vaporized. Like that blew my mind. Like, oh, he's gonna be the hero of the movie, right? Nope. That's what's so great about it. Yeah, I first found out about this movie just through, like, this Tim Burton book I got on his films when I was, like, 15, and I just, that's how I found out about this movie. I just read the the summary of it, and I was just shocked to discover everyone was getting killed, all these famous actors. Well, apparently, um, supposedly, Burton wanted the cast to be much bigger. Like, we end up with, like, 23 main-slash-supporting characters. Initially, he wanted 60, so it would have been following the story of a soldier a doctor and his nurse and like a bunch of other people but like mm-hmm. it got to a point where it's like this movie's already so crowded that's like you can't keep just adding people and i think that you know even with the large cast size in this it strikes a very decent balance like you know I, i'm not thinking in 20 minutes oh you know where's byron what's his storyline like it, they go away just long enough for you to do all the other stuff and need to do with the other characters, and then you can cut back before you start wondering, oh, what's Nicholson's character doing? So, good balance. It has, like, the structure of a, uh, like, a 1960s uh, disaster movie in that sense. Yeah. Well, I'm going to repeat that. It has the structure of a 1960s disaster movie in that sense, where you've got a big ensemble cast of famous actors, except it's subverted here, and they just all get killed. (laughs) Yeah. No one's really that heroic. Um, now, as we're going over with um, the, him talking to his wife in this scene, apparently I was reading like about like li- lists of scenes that were planned to be in the movie, but they had to cut, but were still like included in the novelization, included 
a scene where he, his character is going through his scrapbook, showing off his fights, and he's looking nostalgically, like looking at all the headlines, and it's revealed why him and his wife split was a abuse scandal, like him hitting her, and I guess Tim Burton wisely decided, I'm not going to include a spousal abuse arc in my silly space movie. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't know how I would feel about that character in that case. Because I think he's a pretty likable guy in this movie so that'd be like a pretty big like oh whoa we that 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 took a dark turn like i don't think as terrible as this jack nicholson character is i don't think he's hitting his wife i think maybe he is but that's why he dies the strange part of that character is that he's divorced but he and his wife are just extremely amicable and act like they're married yeah it's very strange um obviously i'm you know i like the idea that he has sort of a uh uncle there to get back to his family it's just sort of a strange way of executing it it overcomplicates his, his yeah. goal yeah he could, he could have just been easily like they're on hard times and dad's gotta go out of town for a few weeks every couple months to like do shitty jobs like this to make ends meet and that's what it kind of reads as at times yeah here's uh jack nicholson who i think michael keaton they originally wanted him to play this character yeah, which is very funny because um, I always thought thought that was Michael Keane because he plays it very much like how Beetlejuice was. Yeah. And Annette Benning, who was almost Catwoman before she got pregnant and Michelle Pfeiffer had to replace her. Yeah. She would have been great, too. Yeah. Oh, and there's Michael J. Fox, the best. So was this was this during his deal with Universal when he made those series of films? That we watched, or potentially. No, because this was Warner Brothers. Well, yeah, but it could have been towards the end. But I'm trying to. Think. Um, what Jake is referring to is I have this set of middling to bad Michael J. Fox movies: um, Greedy, The Hard Way, uh, For Love or Money, and The Secret of My Success, or something like that. And they were all made by Universal in a short period of time. I think this was after. I think Greedy was the last one that was like '93. It was okay. Starring the, at the time, we're recording this recently deceased Kirk Douglas. Yeah. Well, who's surprisingly not in this movie. It, it's a shame that uh, Michael J. Fox never went on to be like a great leading man. I, mean, I shouldn't say a great leading man, but a more successful leading man in more successful movies, I should say. Well, this is actually one of his last movies where he appears on camera because he got Parkinson's. Um, whereas Parkinson's um, like really started escalating shortly hereafter. This is his last live-action movie. He's been in, like, a few bit parts, but, like, when I looked him up on IMDb, it's, like, saying, as Michael J. Fox, so it's clearly a shitty movie as a, where he's a cameo of himself. Well, I mean, I guess a more a, a traditional feature film yeah. where he's playing. I would say this is his last yeah. one. Which is sad, because I agree that, you know, it's a shame that he couldn't, like, really escape Back to the Future. He didn't get typecast in the traditional way, but it definitely Well, he was kind of a good TV him. actor, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, he had a very successful TV career, and that even continued after the Parkinson's diagnosis. He even had, like, his own, like, the Michael J. Fox show at one point. Oh, he was on Spin City. That was well, the that was one show. after this, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he had to leave, he, I think. Like, it... He continued on for quite a while on TV. Yeah, it's, it's a shame, because he's this great, very likable, charismatic guy. I just wish he was in better movies that served him better. Oh, and now Danny DeVito will not appear again until, like, an <laughs> hour in. Yeah. An hour in. This is a great different role for Annette Benning too. Oh yeah, <laughs> everyone's great. 
Yeah, it was also very funny. I was reading that like um, this is the second and I guess only other movie that Annette Bening and Michael J. Fox are in together, the other being the American president, but they share exactly zero screen time in this, so I don't know if that counts. Which also had Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Yeah, that was the point, that they share screen time in that. Oh, wait. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing this commentary track already. <laughs> We're doing I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. Who's, who starred in The American President? Michael it was, Douglas. It was Jack Nicholson, no, right? No, no. That's what we're talking about. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Honey, <laughs> I want you to marry me. I love him in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Spins everything into gold. Now imagine him in like playing the car- the president in Independence Day the same way he's playing this character. <laughs> he gets in the airplane. At the end. <laughs> yeah. Gotta gotta squeeze him in. <laughs> well, and that's the um, a comparison that probably should be brought up. Um, the connection or similar release time of this movie to Independence Day, which um, a lot of people say, and I believe so as well, played into this movie's middling. Um, box office um this movie came out december 13th of 1996 and independence day came out july 3rd of the same year um you know the budgets were pretty much the same around 70 million dollars this made 37 million dollars domestic whereas um independence day made 306 million dollars domestically so Pretty big golf. I think we could agree this is probably the better of the two movies, but um, they're both doing I very mean, different things. Yeah, but I, I don't know if I like one over the other. They're just different. Similar structure, but obviously that's because they're both disaster movies, yeah. and that's what a traditional structure. I is. would say Independence Day is the more accessible movie. True. Well, and that that leads into my point of um, that movie is doing a kind of like what's if you know a. Uh, B movie with an incredibly huge budget taken seriously. Like imagine like Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Like if that had a substantial budget and wasn't you know like a B movie being churned out as quickly as possible, what would that movie have been like if it was taken seriously? Where this was a more comedic you know analysis and breakdown of that genre and an homage. So it's two very different takes of very similar. Um, styles and genres of movies so very interesting to see how um i think independence day like i said you know impacted this negatively which is unfortunate for mars tax well like i said i think just one was more accessible to mass audiences than the other nothing i'm not even saying that is a negative thing it simply is what it is it's just a harder sell it's just difficult to market in a trailer like a satire like this it's just and it's like you can market the, the broad elements of this. Like it's like a silly movie about silly aliens invading. But then you have this like very nihilistic edge where all these famous actors play assholes and die. And that's like a hard thing to, mm-hmm. to get across. Yeah. And you can see a little bit of the Burton style um, drawn on this. They were painted on the side of the um, arcade they're playing. Oh, this might be... Yeah. yeah, this is probably like the weak element of the film. The subplot? Yeah, the subplot. Uh, it's it's fine. It, it gets us to care at least about some people. I don't know. It's like a weird weird element where the sort of sentimentality 
that they tend to parody in this movie and satire is like sort of played straight and it's kind of clumsy like i never liked it when they get back and when they go back to the white house and they use their video game skills to fight the aliens Mm -hmm. it almost feels like something that this movie should be making fun of versus just playing straight yeah like i don't know we should probably talk about it when we get there but it would have been funnier if they started to do that and then something happened and the kids got like crushed or something like that yeah completely subvert like you said the that would that would wreck the whole loner theme that we got going but i don't know I mean, they're not loners. They're hanging out with each other, so so by definition, they should be killed. So they they have to get killed by a technicality. Yeah. Uh, Martin Short. Put him and Paul Rubens in a room together. Make my fucking skin crawl. (laughs) Why don't you like Martin Short? Looks like a petter ass. Look at him. I just feel bad for Martin Short right now. (laughs) You know, he's one of the longest subscribers we've had on this channel. <laughs> Not anymore now. I'm okay with that. God, we can never do three amigos. You'll just be like swearing like constantly. I don't be swearing. I'll be hiding in the other room. You'll be a, broken into a cold sweat the second we press play. Is that Donald Trump? <laughs> don't think so. So you got the same skin color. Or it's the lighting. No, it's the skin color. Yeah. His skin color matches the ceiling. Maybe that could be the point. Well, he was apparently originally supposed to be a much bigger character. Like there was actually gonna be like a death scene where like he was like trying to save his money and all that, and they again needing to cut down on plot elements and plot characters were like, you know what, we'll leave him just being a douchebag boss who has only a few lines. And there's Pierce Brosnan with his pipe. <laughs> yeah, he's great. This is a good role for Pierce Brosnan. Oh, okay. In the nicest possible way, he's always looked a little like a Ken doll, and this plays that up in like an interesting way. Yeah, he's playing or the classic... Or at least a funny way, I should yeah. say. He's playing the classic B-movie professor, the expert... And they just totally shit on him. Yeah, because he's yeah. basically just a fool the whole movie. Oh, it's great. Yeah, he knows nothing about the... <laughs> we'll get to that. It's great. <laughs> Again, like like they said, you know, it's like the movie just like everyone's like, except the loners, are irredeemable assholes, morons. And like, as we get into it, Rod Steiger's like the only person in power who has any common sense to be like, no, they're clearly trying to kill us. Let's blow them up. But still is so inept that it cancels any logic he has out. <laughs> I don't know. I guess maybe you have to have a certain sense of humor to appreciate this. No, it's really? definitely, it's I, definitely I, great. I don't mean that in like a snobbish way, but like you were saying, Jacob, a movie like Independence Day is a little more accessible, whereas this one, there there is this certain sense. Like it's a, it's a satirical element that works for some people and works in and it doesn't for others, and it's fine. Some people just want to cheer on Boomer. Boomer will live. There we go. Memes about the dog from Independence Day. The dog in this one does not fare out very well. I think they're like the same breed of dog, too. I think no. they're like, were they both golden retrievers? Wait, there's a golden retriever in this movie? Yeah, the presence dog is sitting right next to them in the scene we just watched. Oh, Sorry. I want these chairs, like the the men in black style, like egg chairs. 
which apparently like those um chairs at least the men in black ones with the foam around were designed for like hearing tests and like the people like making men in black saw that and like this looks great for a space agency it's like no it's to test people's like hearing no aliens so same thing here the whole like element where they're all just like superficial assholes that care about their petty personal problems it's like a very tim burton thing that, that reminds me of like edward scissorhands when the neighborhood's trying to conform edward or even like like when we were watching it last night like batman returns when they're trying to get the penguin this like <laughs> grotesque monster to run for mayor and he's clearly just like a psychopath but they're they're just too wrapped up in their own superficial concerns to really notice i love, I love this <laughs> Like you said, like he's just trying to spin everything into gold yeah. the entire time. Basically, this movie is just an escalation in people's stupidity. They could have solved this problem maybe earlier if they just listened to Rod Steiger. Yeah. But even that didn't work. So. <laughs> just gotta get Slim Whitman. I like how apparently like they didn't when they were writing it. They're like, "Well, what should the aliens sound like?" And they just wrote "ack ack" a bunch of times, like as a placeholder. And then they're like, "Yeah, that works." Honestly, like it's kind of iconic in yeah. its own right. Yeah, because Pierce Brosnan knows <laughs> the yeah. anatomy. Yes, he just saw like one alien with clothing on. <laughs> he knows that. I like how he's wearing the like white lab coat, even though yeah. they're not in a laboratory. <laughs> but yeah it, it goes into it's like you know it like it's making fun of like the 50s b movies like it's doing it in a way where it's like they're not com calling attention like no one's like why are you wearing a lab coat it's just like a funny thing like if you've rewatched this movie a bunch of times you start noticing like that makes zero sense for the actual setting but like it makes sense for that if this was a shitty b movie they'd probably be like yeah you know he's a scientist he's got to be wearing a lab coat so you can tell he's a scientist well, that's what's great about it is that it doesn't really wink at the audience yeah. you just you can kind of figure it out mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just taking the notes <laughs> I wonder if that um, general, the one who gets vaporized, this one. Um, I wonder if like they were trying to like do a take on Colin Powell because by this point he was very well known on the national stage. So I wonder if this was like a subtle like knock against him. And uh, no Rod idea. Steiger kind of looks like um, General Schwarzkopf, who you know only a few years before was doing Desert Storm. So I wonder if these were deliberate. Um, shots like i kind of like whenever i hear like nicholson talking as the president doing like the whole sweetie they expect me like almost like they're making fun of reagan as well so i wonder if this is deliberate um jabs at somewhat concurrent um politicians and military leaders at the time or if i'm just reading into it because i know johnny depp channeled reagan when they were trying to mock um Edward's speech a little bit um so i wonder if that was the same mindset here hmm. okay i was gonna i was gonna ask does tim Burton keep up on current events <laughs> i don't know it could just be again especially with the president going back to like the 50s kind of like a little wooden hokey acting so. it could just be like a general what kind of person tim burton doesn't like sort of thing <laughs> oh and I guess the answer is the majority of people, but unless you're a loner. 
This is when Byrne was at the peak of his powers, really. Yeah. And he could, he could at the time he could make a movie like this with this cast and this this budget and with this story off of these tops trading cards. It's just amazing. Yeah, he could pretty much do whatever he wanted. Like even now, like Tim Burton, obviously you know, is still huge, but he makes uh, stuff based on like previous like pre-existing books and brands and kind of folds them into his own brand which is a thing at this point Mm -hmm. you think like alice in wonderland and that's like a huge blockbuster but it's him taking a previously existing story the disney alice in wonderland and folding it into sort of his own tim burton brand and he does a lot of that kind of stuff now but i think that i think that also speaks more to the film market today than uh anything else well i feel like he might thrive on like netflix or something where you could kind of go back to this Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Like, just Tim Burton could do some original project on, like, a streaming service. Shit, he could just do another stop-motion movie, and I, I think Netflix would let him do that. Yeah, Frank and Weenie was great. I didn't see it. I just watched The Corpse Bride last year, and that was great. I yeah. remember when Frank and Weenie was announced, because that was a short film that he made in, like, mm-hmm. the 80s. And I was like, well, how are you going to make that into, like, a feature-length film? And ironically, it's not only really good, but the stuff that they expanded on ends up being some of the best stuff in the movie. Which is normally not how that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got two James Bond actors in this. You got that guy, the father, who's Joe Jack- John Baker. Oh, the father? Yeah. That's the actor. Okay. Yeah. I, I never knew. He plays Jack Wade in Goldeneye. You got Pierce Brosnan. Huh. Oh, I was really hoping it was going to be the sheriff from the Man with the Golden Gun. Oh my <laughs> God! Oh no! Live and Let Die. That's where he first appeared in. That is true. That was his first appearance. Yeah. But later, that character returned. I feel like that's the same actor and character in Superman 2. It is, yeah. Sheriff McGee. That's that's the same guy? The same guy. So where's James Bond during the Kryptonian invasion? <laughs> Could you imagine James Bond's like, ah, oh, I'll get in here, and then just immediately gets vaporized. Much like this, just gets vaporized <laughs> by like the Kryptonians. I mean, that was the Roger Moore Bond at that point. So actually, I think he's the one Bond that would have been able to take care of that with ease. Fair point. Now she's she's the uh, secretary in Beetlejuice, correct? Or their um, handler, or like whatever you want to call it. But yeah, she's in Beetlejuice. Okay, I have not seen Beetlejuice all the way through. It's one of those films I've just watched bits and pieces over the years on TV. Yeah. And that's a funny thing. Um, another connection. Um, obviously, that's a Tim Burton movie, but partway into the movie, when they're in her office, you can see red and green skeletons in the background. So, you know, it's very funny that those red and green skeletons later then come back into play, obviously, in this movie when the Martians start blasting their um, victims. So, Tim Byrne likes that style, I guess. I was just going to say, we just skipped past it, but that conversation in the car there is a very nice moment. It's like, a, that's an example of like a strong, genuine moment, if you're yeah. looking for something like that in this movie, where the grandma insinuates that he's like the good one in the family. Yeah. So she has favorites. Yes. Eh, I can't blame her. No, I know, I know. In that case, it's an, it's an exception. Well, it's like, you know, I guess I contrast that with the kids thing where it feels much more artificial. It's like a very nice moment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to be railing on these kids the whole commentary. <laughs> I want to find out that like one of them like, cut Jacob off in traffic like a couple weeks ago, and now he's got a vendetta. Oh, no. I'm sure they can drive. <laughs> like 30 years old now when did this come out it came out in 96 yeah we just wanted to do that whole thing
think the grandma is a very hilarious character in this because old people are inherently funny. <laughs> but no, like when, how we keep like cutting back to her every now and then when she's like, yeah, yeah like laughing, like, ah, oh, they blew up Congress. That's just such a funny, like old person, like reaction. <laughs> I forgot about this. <laughs> oh, foreshadowing. Mm. Yeah, apparently um, Howard Stern wrote like a short idea in the 80s and was trying to go around with it where Slim Whitman music does kill Martians. And he saw this movie, he's like, whoa, that's a coincidence. And like years later, he brings this up to Tim Burton on his show. And Tim Burton like just started laughing and says, well, you probably should have tried suing the shit out of me, I guess. <laughs> I think I've seen Tim Burton on uh, Howard Stern's show before. Wait, yeah. he goes on talk shows? Apparently. And Howard Stern of all people? Yeah, I've seen him talk about... Uh... Superman lives on Howard Stern. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's a fascinating story right there, Superman lives. We don't have time to go into it, of course, but... No, I think we should dedicate the rest of the commentary talking about that and we should Kevin just... Smith's feud with him. We should just do, like, an imaginary commentary track for, like, an imaginary Superman lives. We'll just do it over Superman 4. Okay. No, I no, don't really want to do that. We don't that. need to do that. No, I, <laughs> I really don't. We'll do it over Superman 3. We'll, we'll just pretend we're watching Superman lives. If just Jack Nicholson is so enchanting and mesmerizing in these scenes. He always is. I don't even think I recognized him when I was like a, a kid watching this. Yeah. Like I said, I thought this was Michael Keaton. Yeah. You can definitely see Michael Keaton playing this. Because yeah. it's not your typical Nicholson role either, really. Like he's like he's like almost fucking Yosemite Sam right now. <laughs> well, I guess the uh, the story goes that the studio told Tim Burton that he could not kill Jack Nicholson's character off, and so to get around that, he cast him as two different people and killed both of his characters off. Ah, legal loopholes. Gotta love them. And of course, Nicholson was down with it. Yeah. I mean, Nicholson was actually uh, kind of talking about what, like, what a good guy is. On that first Batman movie, he really was Burton's cheerleader throughout that whole process. Because at the time, Bert oh, this is great. Hold on. <laughs> They're just appearing at different sides of the frame, <laughs> just casually reacting. <laughs> And, and they don't even like leave his bedroom they're going yeah. under like the situation room is like Glenn Close is probably just like sleeping to the right of them just in his bedroom everyone's fully dressed at 10 o'clock at night <laughs> and the other guy's just waiting there. Yeah, it's great <laughs> This is, reminds me of the HBO movie The Second Civil War, which is a very um, good a, um, comedic movie, but they have Phil Hartman, the late great Phil Hartman, playing the president. He plays a very inept president as well, 
and like he's being influenced by like all of his aides who are like, oh, he's like, I gotta give him the deadline. Like, well, you don't want to preempt like you know gu- guiding lighters like some like soap opera. So I like the idea that our presidents are buffoons who are beholden to celebrities. Thank God that doesn't happen in real life. What? What? And now I'm sad. We have all of our antiquated military vehicles. <laughs> I love this guy. He's just like so excited to go like talk to the Martians. He's got the cell phone and everything. Here's a little bit of humanity here. It gives him some depth. Yeah. depth right before he gets killed. <laughs> well, I this this always like this still makes me a little sad because like he's probably like, the, he's like the only person who's not like an irredeemable asshole. Like yeah, he's like still like. He's, I mean, he's like an idiot because he's like, oh, see, you know, keep your head down, don't talk out a lot. It works out eventually. <laughs> I just love how that like that phone is like huge. No, there's that tim that timeless Tim Burton aesthetic yeah. that you see in much of his movies, and I think that's what part of the reasons why they've aged so well. Well, it goes back to like you know, this is partially you know, obviously um, really going the style homage of the Mars tax cards, which came out in the fifties. But like you said, like very classic you know timeless era it's like you know big fish especially um mm. like it's very uh, like they, they don't say what war um, his character is going off to like they have, they have like the, apparently like the north korean flag but then someone's like speaking japanese like the gear is like from a different war and all that so it's very like nebulous at what point does um you McGregor go off to war, but it works as it makes you be able to watch it at any given time and yeah. connect to the characters. Well, it's, it's this heightened kind of fairy tale vision that, yeah. that Tim Burton really like, likes he's, to employ. He's talked about that specifically. Like he tries to make his movies not feel part of a specific time period unless they're something biographical, like, yeah. like Ed Wood or uh, Big Eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I never noticed how it's framed with the American flag there. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Again, okay. in the lab coat. <laughs> so here's here's my question. Is the implication in this upcoming scene that they just keep mistranslating everything the Martians say, or are the Martians deliberately screwing with them? Because they never really specifically say what's happening. You just kind of take it as like a miscommunication of some, you know, to some degree. I, I can go either way with it because it, it makes the it, either way it makes the scene later when we see like you know they're ch- running with the machine screaming you know don't fear us we're your friends either way it makes it comedic I I like to lean on that the aliens are fucking with us especially when you see like them inhaling like the nuke explosion later in the movie and laughing like crazy with that and like the snow globe that. It is them fucking with us, but it can go either way. It, it could even be a combination. Yeah. They just never really outright specify what it is. Because yeah. they do speak reasonably coherent now for the rest of the times, too. Like, you know, the first time around, maybe they're just like, go. You could argue, like, they're just like, okay, they're not going to understand this. Just say a bunch of random gibberish. And then, like, they are surprised. Like, oh, wait, they actually know what we're saying. <laughs> Do you consider Lucas Haas' character the, the protagonist? Or is this more of an ensemble? I think it's an ensemble. I consider it an ensemble. Yeah. Because there's large chunks where he's not on screen, so it's not like we follow him through this with the rest of the people. It's just everyone in general, and he happens to be the one to save the world. Yeah. I think another version of this movie probably would have focused on him, and these, like, the big actors would have been sort of background characters, just sort of 
adding some satirical fill while you focus on the more likable guy. But here, he kind of switches around and focuses on all the irredeemable assholes getting there, you know. Plus, if they did that, it would it would be more like a traditional modern disaster film in a way. It wouldn't, yeah. yeah. wouldn't harken back to, to the 50s B-movies, which were more ensembles. Yeah. I would I would be very interested to see like you know a breakdown of like which characters like have the most lines like I almost feel like Nicholson as the president has more to do than like Lucas Hodge does like I feel like maybe once we really start getting <laughs> going we follow yeah. him in more. terms of competence yeah maybe not no, I, I see your point though yeah in terms it definitely of definitely like focuses more on <clears throat> focuses more on those characters yeah like the Washington military because I mean Sarah Jessica Parker and then once he's taken aboard Pierce Brosnan don't get nearly as much time Michael J. Fox is about to be vaporized so <laughs> yeah I mean that really then leaves you with Lucas Hodge um, Byron and um, Annette Benning's storylines and two of those storylines will eventually converge together see there's the dog <laughs> Look how Nicholson sits in the chair. Everything he does, it's, he's a master. Again, it's because he's like playing it so straight. This movie really doesn't wink at the audience. That just makes it so funny. Oh yeah. Again, like we going back to, I just love the fifties military stack. Like we had body armor on our soldiers by this point. They're just wearing shirts and pants like they're in Korea. Now, coming up here, I think this is the one thing that sort of dates the movie, the, the CG of, of the aliens. I think this should have been stop motion like Burton wanted it to. Yeah, yeah but this was right when CGI was, was booming, and so Warner Brothers was probably very insistent upon that. And I still think the CGI, for the most part, like works in the fact that it's like a 50s B-movie. So this is like, you know, what would a modern B-movie use? They would use CGI. I don't know. I think it sort of clashes with what they're going for. With I think with the fifties B movie aesthetic uh, yeah, and everything. I, mean, fact, I think it would have been better. I agree with you, but I think it does work though. I mean, it, better it's, is stop motion. What yeah, you're saying, I yeah. should clarify. Maybe I mean when they originally were planning on making a stop motion, which I think would have been the right move with this movie, especially with Bird's aesthetic of you know loving stop motion. I, I think it probably was argued that oh stop motion looks fake, but I think this actually looks a little more fake now. Yeah, it's a thing where I, I mean, I don't think the CGI is like flawless, first of all, in this movie. I think it looks a little dated. It's mostly saved by the design of the aliens, which is really good. But on the same token, I think it just would have fit better with the aesthetic of this movie, which has sort of like this weird, timeless, old fashioned feel, except the aliens are like mid 90s CGI. Yeah. What if in with the satire, too? It's just these kind of anachronistic. Yeah. Especially with the way their jaw, like the little like flappy jaws on the side of their jaws move like that. That's what I always focus on the CG looking a little weird. I don't know. I think it's just trying to do a little too much. It's taking a very simple thing but overcomplicating things a little bit. It's taking away from this the concept of simplicity. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they're also once they had to do it in CG, like were hamstrung by the design because these are spot on to like how the cards look, like straight down to like I said, the little jaws on the or flaps on the side of their mouths, like so. They were hamstrung by the fact, like, oh, well, we want it to look exactly like the card and limits of CGI, so. Mm -hmm. Then again, I'm sure it would have been much harder to sell, even harder than it already was, if 
the aliens were all sort of esoteric stop motion creations. I think it would have, yeah, maybe it would have been more confusing, especially maybe with what the marketing was. I mean, the trailers were pretty bad. I don't think they really got this movie, but yeah. I think that would have made it stand out a bit more. Would have made people maybe at least more curious about it. I, I'm not saying that would translate to a to, to bigger success or bigger box office, but I think maybe that would have made it a little more curious to people. I think it's it's tough when you're just trying to sell this to sort of like average Joe that just wants to see like an alien movie maybe an alien movie that's kind of funny yeah. and it's like oh but it's got this weird stop motion aesthetic that makes it look really dated why would they do that it's like you know I'm not even trying to be like critical here of the quote unquote average Joe audience you know it's just there's a lot to delve into in terms of the satire in this movie and if you're just looking for a night out of the, the movies I can see why that could be a harder sell it's not a movie for grandma yeah. Now, there. Uh, you know what's ironic? Because the first time I saw this, I think I was actually at my grandma's. Oh. <laughs> was she watching it with you? I do not think she did. There you go. <laughs> now, I do wonder, because he did look. The alien did look horrified when the bird flew by. I wonder if there also was a level of. <laughs> they are right that birds are a symbol of war. So, had that bird not flown by, everything would have been fine. Like, at this point, they're like, nope, fuck humans, we're done. Well, again, it's like there's sort of like a, almost an ambiguity. Not necessarily intentional ambiguity as to like what the communication here is. If it's like the aliens showed up and were planning on killing them the whole time, or if like the bird or their symbol that they just made there where they waved their hands, if that meant they wanted to declare war. It's never made totally clear. Yeah, so apparently there's like a novelization that like elaborates on it a little bit more. So I guess either way they're just totally fucked. No yeah. matter what humanity does, it's just the fact that they're humanity means they're they were doomed. Yeah. <laughs> just any <laughs> it's, it's very nihilistic. <laughs> no, I didn't realize this never once in the scene do you actually see any one of the soldiers shooting their rifles. Like they didn't put in muzzle flashes. You don't see anyone acting like oh, that's great. Yeah. Only occasionally. Oh, you saw one. I saw one back yeah, there, but but, but like I, very rare. I guess that like very, like that's the most you see is like the machine guns like on top of the tanks. Alright, now here's some trivia. Why are the skeletons all green and red? Cheap paint. Because this was originally supposed to come out like during the holidays. Well, it came out pretty close. It came out around December, I think. I this said. came out during the summer, I believe. Damn, IMDb lied to me then. Let me double check that. Because I'm I, th pos I'm I think I think it was this summer. summer. I thought it was August. I I'm tired of you guys gaslighting me with my movie trivia. I know when Mars Attacks came out, damn it. According to IMDb, it says release date December 1996. Independence Day came out in July, according to IMDb. Yeah, this part, like, really subverts. Like, you think they're going to get there? Because, again, oh, it's a big star. It's Michael J. Fox. And then, nope. <laughs> so where did Johnny Depp they wanted to get for the, that role? Yeah. Which would have been ironic, him pay, oh. playing the love interest um, to Sarah Jessica Parker like he did in oh. um, Ed Wood. Yeah. It was December, so it was an intentional thing. Oh, so I was wrong then. Yeah, don't gaslight me. went and, you know, edited the Wikipedia article I'm looking at right now. I could have sworn oh, this was a summer release. Because that's where, like, the Independence Day competition comparison comes mm -hmm. from, right? Maybe it was initially supposed to be in the summer and they pushed it back. Warner Brothers got, like, a little too scared. You see. Now I'm gonna look that up. Hold on. <laughs> I wonder what Bruce Brosnan's thinking. 
If this was like a Zucker Brothers movie, they would have like bubbles coming out of his pipe, probably. <laughs> get the public's opinion. The army just got annihilated. We gotta get <laughs> Rod Steiger's the best. Looks like Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now a little bit. Fat bald guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they kind of discuss it here, like, you know, did the dove cause them to attack? But it's not really expository, it's more speaking to, like, the incompetence of these characters. Yeah, yeah. Again, this movie escalates because of the stupidity of these people. Yeah. I also like how, like, in the, like, adjoining room to the Oval Office, they have all this equipment set up. Like, they're not going down to, like, the Situation Room or the War Room we see later on. It's just, like, in this, like, broom closet. That's <laughs> just there. And again, in the lab coat. I never really noticed it until like, that one scene. It's like, he's in a lab coat, like, 90% of the time he's on camera. <laughs> the calm Jack Nicholson speech for the aliens that just like wiped out the army can you imagine like this is was FDR's response after like Pearl Harbor or Bush's like after 9-11 maybe it was a cultural <laughs> misunderstanding <laughs> the Martian paper See, this is where the CG doesn't hold up. Yeah, much. no, not at all. It's not bad, it just it isn't aged as well. Yeah, like that hand looked very fake. Well, it's weird because it, the CG just clashes with the Look at the cow. Aesthetic. I've yeah. never noticed like, them carrying a cow in the background. We can't even hear them, but like it's just so funny. They're laughing. And again, going to like the, a Playboy model that looks like it's from like the early 60s. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great close up when you don't have the sound up. <laughs> Remember the commentary track for Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Imagine if like how fucked up the screen looked. Imagine if it looked like this now. Mm. By horrific reds and blues. Click in the remember, link to listen to that one, guys. Yeah, do you remember that, audience? Remember that, listeners? <laughs> that thing you saw during the Planes, Trains, and Automobiles commentary track? Pause this commentary. Go listen to the Planes, Trains, and Automobiles commentary. Then come back when you understand the full breadth of it. Yes, this is the full breadth for this thing which you never actually saw. Hey, I put the images up in the video. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Maybe you guys should listen to the commentary slash watch what I work on. I saw it. The sad part is that's the one I think I actually listened to more than once because I was like bringing up the picture to someone. I was showing them the picture <laughs> that you, you put in there. Um, 
Oh, and here's the one part where it looks like Jack Nicholson to me. Yeah. Not not criticizing it. It's just an observation. It's in this part where they take off the hair that I really do notice. Oh, they did put a slight prosthetic nose on him too. Mm-hmm. But this also this set's great. Like a '50s <laughs> B movie, like like laboratory, like that would not look like this at all. This is one of my favorite jokes in the movie. <laughs> Good to see the army was able to kill at least one alien. There's nothing. (laughs) It's just green slime. Very curious. (laughs) Get the Nickelodeon gack in there. Yeah, so there were practical aliens made for this. They they have them on the Warner Brothers tour there. Mm -hmm. I wonder how many were made if it was just like for various shots like that where they're dead, like one or two where they're dead, like towards them where they're picking them up. I'm just looking at the menu. Okay, room tone. And thus a fetish was born. What are you talking about? Yes, the funeral for an American icon. So this is when Jack Black was starting to get like bit roles in movies. He yeah. was in Enemy of the State. He was in The Jackal. Biodome. He was in Waterworld. Yeah. Oh my god, he was! And The NeverEnding Story 3. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of getting typecast as the Idiot bully. Schlub. Yeah, the idiot, I think, probably the better word. Yeah. Well, I think they were trying to like be like, oh, Bill Paxton was playing the idiot douchebag in a lot of movies in the 80s. He's now too big. Who can we get for this now? <laughs> like, Jack Black, if they had made weird signs like 10 years later, Jack Black definitely would play the brother in that. Like, the <laughs> brother that Paxton played. Bill Paxton should have been in School of Rock, then. <laughs> Hey, kids. I'm your teacher. That's my Bill Paxton impression. Did he have a mental <laughs> When he played Hicks, I mean, when he played Hudson and Aliens, maybe. Okay, he almost had like a male valley girl voice in that movie. A little bit. Like a southern... He had the, the disability in the circle. Remember that movie? Oh. Um, actually, I think that might have been his last movie. Yeah, that's a shame. Oh, God. He was in Training Day. He played Denzel's character. All due respect to Bill. That's, I mean, I, I guess I could see what they're going for, but... Wait, and, wait what? <laughs> yeah, there was a Training Day show. It took me like a, took a few minutes to like put that together in my head. Yeah, there was a Training Day show. Um, It was, like, it was made right before he died, and he played the Denzel character. Oh. Oh, R.I.P. Bill Paxton. <laughs> he was a great actor. Remember how he was in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? No. He ended up being the, the main villain in season one. Yeah. I liked him in True Lies. Jake's like, how can I do anything other than talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Well, we could talk about Mars Attacks. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, no, let's talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Or we can talk about Spy Kids 2. I'd rather talk about Spy Kids 2. He's great in Spy Kids (laughs) 2. You know, that was the one I've seen the least. Spy Kids 1 and 3 I watch more. 
Spy Kids 3, oh my god. That's like, that's a whole other commentary. We should watch the fourth one. Uh, I've never seen the fourth one. I've heard it's bad. I like all three of the original movies. Again, I like, like, the amount of, like, stupid people, which I guess is very realistic, being like, hey, let's go see where the aliens who massacred all the fucking people at the last meetup are going to be. You know, the the army's got no choice to be here, but... These people are stupid. It plays into everyone's an idiot. Well, this would have happened in real life. Let's yeah. face it. Yeah, true. People are this stupid, if not more so. Here they come again. <laughs> and by the way, I guess this goes into the translation machine has to work because how would we have known that, like, we just talked over that, like, they want to, like, address Congress. They want to meet again. And then they coincidentally do. So I guess the translation machine does work, and they're fucking with us. Then what happens in that scene when he's just spouting nonsense? In this scene? No, at the beginning when they're on the TV and they're translating it, and it's a total mistranslation. Like I said, it might go to they they thought, okay, there's no way they're going to translate this. Let's just fuck with him. And he's just like saying random shit, knowing that it won't matter. It's like if you're like doing a silent movie, just say whatever the fuck you want to say and hope no one can read your lips. And that's why they're legitimately surprised when they hear their we come in peace. Like maybe they were doing it mockingly, is the way I interpret it. What a great excuse, Martin Short. Yeah. I wish we could have seen the vice president. Like, who do you think the vice president would have um, been played by in this if he was a character? Let's see. Christopher Walken. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mr. President. <laughs> Two mice fell to a bucket of cream. Don't go. <laughs> Demotions. They're striking. Make it over fun. <laughs> <laughs> Wascally Martians. And then he killed Natalie Wood. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, Christopher Walken, who's the other dedicated listener, is now not going to want to listen to us again. It's Martin Short, Martin and Chris, we're really sorry. They were our Patreons, guys. What the fuck? They got to do something in their free time. I imagine Christopher Walken plays like basketball or something. I read a parade magazine. His hobbies are cats. He has tons of cats. That explains why he was in that movie. Um, what was the Kevin Spacey one? Nine Lives? Yes. I'm sorry I had to refer to it as that. I legitimately couldn't remember the title. Yeah. And I feel like it would have been more confusing if I said, what was that Jennifer Garner movie called again? <laughs> Guess it wasn't the dove. <laughs> Steiger also kind of reminds me of the um, general from um, Iron Giant, played by the dad from Frasier. Like, I'm expecting like to see Rod Steiger pulling his pistol out and just shooting as well. <laughs> That's just Annette Benning falling off the wagon. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that yeah. before. before. <laughs> It's the trash Yeah, it's better than a pistol, I guess. Like I was eating don't a donut when this is going on. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why he doesn't feel more proactive because he spends like the first two thirds of the movie just kind of watching things on TV in the donut shop. I guess nothing happens in bumfuck wherever <laughs> they are. But it's a piece of a larger whole. I yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. 
I love this room. It makes zero sense. Like, why are they all sitting so far away? Yeah. I owe you. It moves forward an inch, but that's it. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> well, hold on. <laughs> Let's not be racy. One step forward, two steps back. <laughs> I just like how he delivers the line. Oh, it's the nuclear deterrent. <laughs> Are you crazy? I'm not going to start a nuclear war. <laughs> this is this movie's equivalent of you can't fight here. This is the war room. Yeah. Now I kind of wanted to see like what George C. Scott would have done with this role, like playing the like the general in Doctor Strange Love in this. I'm sure he would have done an acceptable job. Yeah. Oh, maybe not because I think he was dead by this point. Oh yeah. I don't know when Tom he died. I mean, he was pretty old when he did Patton. That was like 25 years before this. Well, he was in The Exorcist three that came out in the early 90s. Oh, it did. Also one. Oh, he died in 99. Okay. Let's see when he stopped. <clears throat> That's a great line. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's actually, um, I just realized, Designated Survivor, the Keith Sutherland show, has a very similar, like, line of dialogue in this. Like, there's an episode dealing with them having to do a new election and, like, a terrorism potential going on. And, you know, he says, he's like, no, we need to let the American people know that the mail will be delivered, schools will be open, we have to continue on our way of lives. So this really overly comedic line in this was used in a seriously without irony in an ABC drama. I think I remember that, actually. Yeah. I used to watch that show. Which, incidentally, that Michael J. Fox was in the second season of that show. Oh. Did you know Michael J. Fox was also in The American President? Yes. I, I think I'd heard that somewhere. I think Jake told me that. He was there with Jack Nicholson. He was also in Ties That Bind. Stuart Little, too. I saw that movie in theaters. Yeah, I saw Stuart Little, too. Maybe I saw the... You know, M. Night Shyamalan wrote the first Stuart Little movie. That first movie is actually very yeah, good. It is. Anyway. Back to Mars Attacks. Yeah. <laughs> I love this shot. Yeah, I like how he's able to somehow turn like the thing. It makes zero sense, but I love it. <laughs> There's his heart. And then his <laughs> leg and arm. Oof. Yeah. Oh, that age well. It looks like her head is almost CGI as well. Like that's not even really Sarah Jessica Parker's head. <laughs> And when we do the eventual commentary to Sky Captain the World of Tomorrow, we can talk about how technology's gotten better recreating dead celebrities like um, Olivier. Lawrence Olivier. Yeah, in that one. Was that Definitely a, come a long way. That wasn't actually like CG, though. That was like no, footage that, of that. That was. Lawrence yeah. Olivier. Well, I think it's like what they did with Brando in Superman Returns, where they took clips of him and were able to manipulate it mm -hmm. enough. Which that's the most interesting part of Superman Returns, just like the 
10 minute documentary they made about bringing Brando back to life for like 30 seconds in that movie. <laughs> I like how you'd see the flags are all half staff in the background. They're going to be at half staff for a very long time <laughs> after this movie. <laughs> I like how she's dressed. It's yeah. like a, a 1950s, like, blonde bombshell monster. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this is um, Lisa Murray um, Burton's. Were they married or just dating? I think they were in like a long-term partnership. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. She um, played, um, I don't know, Elvira, um, Vampira in um, Ed Wood a couple years prior to this. She was also Ichabod's mother in Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. And um, she was, um, in, wasn't she in Planet of the Apes as well? She was uh, Nova, right? She wasn't. Nova? She was no No, she wasn't Nova. She was in Planet of the Apes though, I think. I don't know who she played, but I believe she was in that movie. The Charlton Heston one, right? No, no. No, no I know. I'm, I'm fucking with you. Yeah. No, no. The Matt Reeves one. <laughs> uh, look it up. But, um, yeah, she was... She, I thought she always did very well in um, with what... You know, even though they were in a long-term partnership, she never got to do too much of those movies. But th- this is a very cool design. I mean, obviously, it speaks um, to the design of it that she's on the poster of the movie, mm-hmm. along with dog-headed Sarah, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, she actually is nice emblem, kind of emblematic of the movie. But it, yeah, it goes back to what you're saying. Like It's a very 50s, yeah. like stylized 50s, you know. It, it almost feels like um, what, like, the Martians, like, received, like, our television signals from the 50s, and this is what they think humans look like. I also like that Martin Short is just, like, looking for action, like nothing has been <laughs> happening. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like it was earlier in the movie before the Martians became a threat. You know, in fairness, um, FDR, I'm sure, kept seeing his mistress during all of World War II. So, why can't Martin Short get a little action? But that, but that was overseas, at least. This is happening on American soil. You don't consider Hawaii or the couple islands of Alaska that the Japanese took part of American soil. You only consider the lower 48 part of America. God, Jake. You're right. I'm so sorry. You just hear me leave like I'm done with the commentary. You just hear the door shut. Oh yeah, suck it. She did play Nova in the Planet of the Apes movie. Really? Unless I went in and edited that IMDb page as well. She was Nova. Are you... Huh. Okay, well, okay, fuck it. It's been so long since I've seen the Tim Burton one, it's not very good. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen it all the way through. I've seen, like, the beginning, and I think I've seen the end. Oh, wait, I think Nova is a different character. Yeah, she's... she's they have this, um... She's Chris Christopherson's, like, Yeah, daughter. Estella Warren. Yeah, that's her. It, Estella Warren plays the human love interest now in that version. So, yes. So, so who, did, who did we determine that she plays? She plays Nova, but Nova isn't the same character importance as she was in the original '60s um, Planet of the Apes. So that uh, that was leading to our confusion, I think. Oh, what a shame! Like that. I mean, the original is a classic, but that Tim Burton one was such a letdown. Great ending, though. Yeah. Should have gotten the Oliver Stone Planet of the Apes movie. That movie, that script is fucking nuts. Look it up on the <laughs> internet. It's great. Well, <laughs> my favorite part of that movie is Paul Giamatti. At the time, where it's like he, people know, it's like, oh, he's a good actor, but now we're gonna keep putting him in garbage movies, great or, it, or good movies, but with very small performances. He couldn't hit that sweet spot yet. The best part of that movie is the makeup for oh, the yeah. apes. It's it's excellent. 
I'm just trying not to talk about Martin Short. <laughs> she looks like this the is t- your favorite scene, Jake. <laughs> the entire time of this, she looks like she's trying not to laugh. Like she seems like she's one second away from not laughing every time that she's on screen. It's interesting how people finally become self-aware when they themselves are hurt. I know that might sound obvious, but that maybe that goes into like the cynicism and the nihilism of this movie. Maybe I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, but that's just kind of what I've been noticing. There's a lot to dissect here. In this one scene, yes. Yeah. That's just great. It's like a horribly brutal death for Martin Short. Yeah. I like how the Aliens movie is like a little hunched over, like on roller skates. <laughs> Oh, that's how she moves? Well, no, I'm like saying, like, it looks like she's on roller skates, like, with how smoothly she's moving. I mean, she's probably, like, on a conveyor belt or something yeah, like a, laid down. Or... She's a great like movement. Like, on a skateboard or something. Oh, yeah. I don't think she's on a skateboard. The, a dolly or something like okay. that. Okay. <laughs> she's on a skateboard. They just yeah. push her on cue. Well, that's how apparently they did Clark Gable dancing and Gone the Wind, because he wasn't taller, tall enough for Vivian Lee to like be convincing, so they just put him on a skateboard during that dancing scene. So if you pay attention, Clark Gable's character is just not moving his legs at all <laughs> as they're dancing. So are you saying they'd use this? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> well, I wonder, though, if this is even Lisa Marie anymore. Well, that's clearly not Lisa Marie, but like when her face was uh, fucked up, like... I feel like that was like a stunt man, like in a Lisa Marie mask at that point, since her face was ripped off. It could have been. I think it might have been CGI. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good for Jack. Yeah. Pummeling her. Well, you know, it was a good attempt. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, darling. <laughs> yeah, they do hate birds. Oh, yeah, you got some payback there. It just starts disintegrating his face. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's the best of the three burglars from Baby's Day Out. Which, incidentally, will be our next commentary track. Right, guys? It'll be your next commentary track. (laughs) I've never watched that movie. Oh, it's a classic. And by classic, I mean John Hughes really needed money at the time. Well, to quote Dennis Hopper's son, vaguely, do you need it that bad? <laughs> you know, I haven't, I haven't seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in years. That, that's a movie I'd like to give another chance. I as, like I've that got, movie. as I've gotten older, I've liked it slightly less, but it's still good. I like it, and I think it's underrated. I don't think it's in the same league as the original, but I no, appreciate no. it for what it is. There are people though who I think criticize Johnny Depp's portrayal a little too much. So I think it's a like you have to depart enough, have a big enough difference between the original Gene Wilder version. So I think that was a good compromise to make it its own character. That's the thing. But anyways, back to terrible CGI. It's weird because the effect of him not having a body looks reasonably good. It's just like it's very weird. I think. They had to cheat it so much for her head to fit on a dog's body when it wouldn't at all. That might be why it looks so fake, as we know, logically, her head could not fit on that dog. Maybe that's it. It's kind of distorted because of that. 
which I like that, like how perspective of cartoon characters change. Like they talk about like how Snoopy and Charlie or Snoopy and Garfield always have to have smaller paws. Like they're more realistic when they're sitting, but as soon as they stand, they realize, fuck, we have to make this look like this would make sense for them to be able to stand. <laughs> Have been Robert Picardo. Does that pay off again? No. I it makes it seem like it's going to be like a weakness. No, I maybe that was a um, maybe that was like a red herring. Like it was, and that's a no. Their actual weakness is something far, yeah. like far more stupid. Oh, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> trying to crush the, the boys. <laughs> Perspective's not great on that, though. Yeah. Not that it was actually forced perspective of of the monument. On the, yeah. Just, I think the kids were disproportionately sized. They made them look yeah. a little too big. So you could see them. There's yeah. a door going through. I like how everyone's just like, again, completely normal. Let's go on a tour of the White House. <laughs> 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 like, imagine... <laughs> It just imagine there like other times of like crisis just continuing to go on towards the famous places. There's like an active like alien invasion and attack like you know within the vicinity yesterday. Yeah. Like how Disneyland shut down when Kennedy was shot. He wasn't even shot anywhere near there, but like let's close down. Disneyland shut down, but the White House tours aren't. Yes. <laughs> I love Glenn Close. Just play like a combo of like Nancy Reagan and like I don't know who else. Maybe she's just Nancy Reagan. Yeah, when you see those things like real dummies, like you brought out how there are a handful of real ones on the WB tour. Yeah. They do look really great. So it's a shame we couldn't have gotten like stop motion. Um, Natalie Portman wasn't as well known. I mean, she was kind of well known, not not the star yet. Professional, but that was about that was that was but that was like kind of what put her on the map. That's what I'm saying. Like that had come out like a few years before. Yes, right. Yeah, she was up and coming. Yeah. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Gerald Ford. No, he got splattered with cartoony blood. Yeah, I, I really think the kids should have just been like also crushed by a chandelier in this scene or something. They picked up the guns, like yeah, immediately vaporized. Yeah, or something like that. Tim Burton might have thought that was too mean spirit because do we no kids actually die because you don't even see any of the Boy Scouts get crushed. Like it's all adults. What a shame. What's well, like the Grand Theft Auto principle? You never see kids in that, those games because <laughs> the creators know mm, that might be a little too far. Yeah. He's got a new hair piece. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like the uncle from Christmas Vacation. <laughs> hey, Rance Howard. 
Yeah, I was reading like the, that, yeah. yeah, I was reading there was like a connection that apparently he's somewhere at Independence Day as well. Like he's a chaplain, I guess, of the Area 51 <laughs> scene. I'm like, I don't remember that at all. Brands Howard was really getting around in his space movies in yeah. 1996. He's very passionate about appearing in these like modern alien invasion films. His cameo at Apollo 13 didn't pay enough, so he had to take a few more movies in the subsequent years. He's going to his son for for work for money he's like no dad I have to give Clint a lot of work (laughs) (laughs) no one will hire him now I love this was an actual demolition of a real hotel at the time yeah so it's like I wonder if they weren't tearing this down like what would have been the conclusion of this subplot I mean they just would have used the model They would have had to halt production. They would have had no idea what to do. <laughs> or Tim Burton would have been like, blow up a real hotel. And back then, he probably could have gotten it done. Oh, and then here we have the new main character. The <laughs> We're now like an hour into the movie introducing Tom Jones, who's listed pretty high in the credits, too. He's now in the rest of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the best parts of the movie. I love this. And again, people are just going about their days as a full-scale invasion is happening. <laughs> it's like in the Emmerich movie 2012, like when like all these terrible things are happening and it immediately cuts to like the, the main character's fa- father on the cruise ship and they're all singing happy songs like, the world is ending. <laughs> I must get to Washington to see my estranged ex-wife. <laughs> Who I may or may not be hitting in continuity. <laughs> hey, that's really disturbing implications, knowing that that's like <laughs> the motive when they were filming all this. <laughs> he just marches up at the end there. It's like, oh no. <laughs> oh, the true horror is just beginning. <laughs> Apparently, these backup singers were actually Tom Jones's actual backup singers. Makes I, I, so apparently Tim Burton approached Tom Jones like backstage at a show after he performed to ask him ask him to be in this movie. How do you? He was uh well his, this song was in um Edward Scissorhands also so I guess Tim yeah. Burton's a fan. Hmm. Makes sense the you know his era that Tom Jones was because his, he was going into adolescence. <laughs> I love this shot coming up. Get out, girls! Get out! Get out! <laughs> Tom Jones, that like that blue sports coat and everything. That's uh, so funny. And then he just stops writing up, be like, "Get oh. the fuck out!" Uh, like Danny DeVito's back. Anyone got a pen? Yeah, I guess this is one of them when they vaporized the boss who had one line of dialogue. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. The Martian's weakness. A punch to the glass dome. Like the, it should have realistically showed up. Like him being like, ah, my fucking hand! <laughs> I punched solid glass! Who are you? And so they should be like the Danny DeVito. (laughs) 
I'm just getting like vibes from like the um, director's cut ending to Planet uh, Planet of the Apes. Uh, to Little Shop of Horrors. Wait, no, there's a director's cut to Planet of the Apes. <laughs> no, the Little Shop of Horrors, like, oh, the director's yeah. cut ending is destroying New York. I haven't seen that movie That's, yet. like, probably one of the craziest alternate endings I've ever seen to a movie, but both endings are very good. Yeah. Apparently, like, this was supposed to be a lot more graphic. Like, you'd see, like, the skeletons of, like, his co-worker and the two cops. You'd like, see the police yeah. running out of the donut place. Well, no, apparently, like, I oh, guess they God. add that in because, like, initially, like, he was going to look back and see, like, skeletons inside, like, of his co-worker and maybe one or two slower cops, but... Oh, I thought it was just, like, a joke because they're cops that yeah. eat donuts. He's got like the like grease under his <laughs> eyes, like a football player. And then he's got like the fucking like what the breathing strip. <laughs> Wonder who's on line no, this one. Is like, this might be one of my favorite parts, just because of Jack Nicholson's line delivery here. Hey, <laughs> yeah, I just love how the Martians are fucking with them. Like they could easily blow up, but like, no, 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 we're your friend. Don't worry. <laughs> Maurice, get out of the room. Get out now. Jack Nicholson's the master of being very over the top without raising his voice at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, well, that should be the thumbnail. No, no, I have a picture of the of the thumbnail. I'll show you. Thumbnail. The plane from Con Air just is crashing in the background now on a strip. <laughs> Again, our great 1950s military technology. Damn budget cuts. That will be the thumbnail. That's going to be the thumbnail. <laughs> or this. <laughs> Either way, it's going to be Nicholson. He puts the pen in his hand. What is... He sounds like he's got, like... He's been on, like, a bender for a couple days. I mean... It's Jack Nicholson, maybe he has. (laughs) Tim, lower the lights. (laughs) It's been a long night. Now, the thing is, I've noticed, like, after you see his um, daughter get, like, separated from him, you never see her again in the rest, interact with her father. You don't see her again even until, like, the very end of the movie. She's giving Lucas Hodsley, like, metal. So it's very um, interesting. I wonder if, like, back when they wanted to have a lot more shit in here, they were going to have, like, a her have something more to do because they also would have gone a little more away to giving Nicholson like a more humanizing character if like he had mo- a moment with her I wonder how many deleted scenes are in this thing. maybe because maybe there's a scene like that when we see it's not yeah. it's like it's not a particularly likable character and even like yeah. Natalie Portman in this is supposed to be just sort of like a mopey teen yeah uh, we'll talk more about it at the end that that medal ceremony doesn't even play them like totally sincerely. Lucas yeah. Haas and Natalie Portman. It kind of makes them out into jokes. So again, showing that there's no good people in this movie. <laughs> Everything's meaningless. Yep. <laughs> so they finally go with Rod Steiger's plan, and it fucking backfires. 
Guy Fox was about to blow it up. That's a reference to a thing. To Promethea? Yes. Get your CGI dust in there. Nice stock footage. <laughs> <laughs> The age of Blu-ray and 4K really has not made stock footage uh, appear any better. Yeah, yeah. yeah I wonder how that looks. Like, There's some stock footage right here, too. The stock footage of those statues being destroyed on Easter Island. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, this part. This looks like this is from, like, Inferno. Or like well, like this that. looks intentionally... This is definitely stock footage. I think that... Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I like how they're just accruing more and more, like, human, like, stuff as they go along. <laughs> Duke's a hazard. Kelly Bundy, no! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, again, goes to show you, like, she was on like one of the highest rated TV shows at the time, and she has like two lines of dialogue. Well, this is when everyone w would have wanted to work with Timber in any way. Yeah, yeah. Even exactly. have two lines. It's one of those. Well, things. it's like um, what's her face and um, the Irishman. Um, Anna Paquin. Yeah, Anna Paquin. You know, has like three lines. Yeah, but she's like kind of the backbone to that movie yeah. though yeah she's a very important character but, yeah but still like a just like oh like, I see what, your yeah, point what, 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 oh you want me to only have three lines okay cool I'm gonna score Scorsese maybe. I remember she even said I'll play okay. a tree so that robot that design is great if that was done practically though that's just begging to be done oh. practically and I'm not one of those guys that inherently dislikes CGI um, but that design with the blocky sort of like model almost toyetic sort of look to the whole thing it's just begging to be like uh a stop motion model or a practical thing. Or something. Well, you can tell Burton's trying to make it appear a little more stop motion. It's a little jerky. Yeah. But it, obviously, because it's not stop motion, the the, the effect isn't quite looks more what it could be. Yeah. We should use your Dexter's Lab thing you have for the giant robot to recreate it. And then put crickets over that response. <laughs> <laughs> Or just that's solid. I'm not going to respond to it then. <laughs> <laughs> I love like where the fuck are they? <laughs> like like this graveyard of signs right at the airport. <laughs> yeah, Devito's great. No, he's not. Oh. How many movies has he done with um, Tim Burton? He's done this, Big Fish, Dumbo, Four. Batman Returns, right? Yeah. It's a Rolex. <laughs> yeah, I like how he, like, he blow, like, blows up differently than everyone else does for some reason. And there goes, what is he, like the, the fourth build person in the whole yeah. movie? 
He's been on stream for like three minutes. I think again, I'd, it'd be really cool. like though. someone yeah. needs to like you know do a stopwatch or like every character like how long is President Nicholson on? How long is Annette Benning on? How long is you know like so and so? I just keep going through. I think Nicholson has the most screen time. Yeah, when yeah. it goes back to that, yeah, I think like Lucas Hodge ends up saving the day, but probably has very little screen time. <laughs> He's probably disproportionately the most like important person to the least amount of screen time. <laughs> like this wily e. coyote like level gun they're bringing in. <laughs> this grandma so much they're going through a lot of effort I love that jumping over the flaming cell in the wheelchair <laughs> yeah, that was actually Lucas Haas that wasn't a stunt man <laughs> he didn't even know they were going to throw it at him he's like ah oh. yeah, this is how they defeat the Martians I wonder how, like, Slim Whitman's, like, estate, like, we talked about, like, they had to sign off of this. I wonder if there was any twinge of, like, should we be doing this to, like, our father or grandfather or, like, eh, fuck it, we're gonna make money, he's dead, who cares? I think they were just happy to be remembered at this point. <laughs> like, how sad she sounds, though. Yeah, seriously. Like she's like personally offended like it was like her music <laughs> he's just still at his desk <laughs> I do like it. it's a nice touch with the floor map as we every time they show it there's less tanks and just more alien flying saucers around. like <laughs> they are doing some level of continuity that we're getting our ass kicked I never noticed that that's funny like the cupid like I always thought that was like supposed to be like a Martian cupid it looked like it had like wings on him <laughs> <laughs> there to be a Mars Attacks like like Lego game where you could play as Rod Sager with dual wielding pistols. <laughs> I love how he holds them too. Like it's just like the way he shoots them. I, I feel like Rod Sager has never fired a gun in real life before either. I think he has. He seems like the type of man who shot a gun many times. I just love how he's doing it here. Yeah, it's maybe like he's like a little kid playing like cops and robbers. I like doing the Churchill speech. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love instead of completely diving under the desk, he's using the chair as an unnecessary shield. <laughs> I 
I guess there's no other good time to bring it up, but they did like a sequel to the Mars Attacks like card series a little bit ago. Um, still in the same style, but this time the I guess the humans go to Mars. So, oh, so that's it's kind of like what Independence Day three was supposed to be. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, but it's very interesting because they updated the style a little bit, but still looks very vintagey. So it almost looks like Lost Cards style. That's that's pretty interesting how the how a card series can do that advance the storyline because i'm curious how that would translate to oh. a, a sequel film <laughs> just stepping over the skeletons <laughs> again it goes back to um him being naive, thinking like, oh, we, we can negotiate now from places strength. You're kicking our ass, but I can convince you now. It's like a, a brief moment of clarity, of lucidity, of sincerity. And then, and then it's, it's meaningless. Yeah. Jack Nicholson dies and they do his memoriam at the Oscars. I hope they use this scene. <laughs> That's the thing. I want to like write up oh, and his ties untied again. You got to shut this commentary off right now. Shut it off. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now I've always said I want to like write the obituaries for like famous celebrities and like pick their like personal like least favorite thing or like something that would be proper. Like Glenn Close, star of 102 Dalmatians, <laughs> died today. <laughs> I'm sure their estates and their families would very much appreciate that. Yeah. I wonder what N movie Nicholson would be personally ashamed of and would not want to be his epitaph. Um, Wolf. What was that last one that he did? Oh. It's like a favor, basically. His like it's like his own like welcome to Mooseport. It was the one with Paul Rudd, right? It was like How do you news. know? Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was his last movie, folks. It's just like a very small role. I I've seen part of that movie. Yeah. Should have been the departed. I like the bucket list. Yeah. Oh wait, that came after. Yeah, that that would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like like I said, it's a, his own personal welcome to movie sports. Like very sad that that's Hackman's last movie role. Same thing with Sean Connery for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I mean, I love that movie, yeah, but, but a little bit. Neat. It should have been Finding Forrester. Yeah. What's well, the same thing with um? Is Finding Forrester the one where that meme comes from? The you're the man now, dog. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. Punch the keys for God's sake. <laughs> uh, but it goes also like, you know, Jimmy Stewart's last movie was An American Tale 2 as a talking dog named Wiley Burp. Our Hollywood legends always pick the best movies to go out on. <laughs> well, you know, gotta work. You know, we, you can't, we can't all be like Henry Fonda going out on, on Golden Pond. <laughs> Honestly, I, I kind of appreciate that. You know, they're just they're doing the work because it's work or because they like it. You know, I personally love an American Tale: Five Old Goes West, and that'll be our next commentary. I haven't seen that in years. It holds up. If no, I ever watched it. the whole thing. <laughs> just this motley crew of like two people dressed as Egyptians Annette Benning and Tom Jones oh yeah 
quit before the Martians destroy all of our Slim Whitman music. <laughs> Could just imagine like every U.S. Army like you know, like unit be like, quick, go to the record store, find Slim Whitman. It's our only chance. I love that little joke of Tom Jones when he hears the music. Who put that on? <laughs> I wonder if it was originally supposed to be Tom Jones music, and he threatened to beat the shit out of Tim Burton. <laughs> He's like, you fucking try and do that, I'll kill you. He said it in like his regular. You do that again, and I'll kill you. <laughs> It seems we're at an impasse, Tom. That's Tim Burton's voice. If you, you listen to Tim Burton, like you think he's gonna sound like some weird Tim Burton character, but he sounds like just some dude from the valley. Yeah. He lived in Burbank, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a Mars movie. <laughs> Sounds like Nicolas Cage. Yeah, that's kind of like the affectation I got from it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who we cast as Superman and Superman lives. Now, I like how like they feel like they need to have a boxing match. They have an alien gun. He could have just vaporized a bunch of them before they even realized it. No, you can see none of them have their guns. He could have done it. Yeah, it's a character thing. It's I know. So, conclusion of his arc. So basically, the arc, as on, it was written on paper, goes, <laughs> he was supposed to beat his wife. And then it was going to culminate with him being beating a hero him. by beating aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, do we know this, though? That, was that, that just that the novelization? The no, that, no, that was in the novelization, but like they said those were scenes that were like written, that were taken out, but left in the novelization. Okay, oh, that makes more sense. Um, okay. Whatever they say, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love how like I know we talked about this when we were rewatching it. It's just when it had to be the Martian ambassador. Like you, you see like that character get its comeuppance. But it's like it's very funny to me that the Martian like ambassador is just like in some random fucking airstrip in the middle of nowhere <laughs> on the outskirts of Vegas. <laughs> well, maybe it's like a redemption equals death arc here, yeah. and they cut it out, and they're like, well, I'll live at the end. Well, apparently that was also the thing. Like, originally he was supposed... To, it was scripted that he would be dragged away. And like, you'd just see his body being dragged away. And then it'd be ambiguous whether he was alive or dead. And they're like, nah. Oh, wow. Well, it's because, like, I read, like, of, like, the 22 people building, like, like, cast at the beginning, only seven of them, of them survived. So I guess they're like, maybe, like, let's add one more in here. So make it from... Instead of six, make it seven. Oh, the perspective always throws me off with this shot. Yeah. It's it's one step away from being the shark at the end of Jaws 3 where it goes through like the way it just stops. <laughs> it like it just kind of stops as it goes in. I it's give it a little more credit than that. Frozen shark. It's not that bad. I'm just saying. And they're also inconsistent on how big the flying saucers are as well. Like that one's like a, smaller than the building now. That I don't mind though. It's like basically whatever's best for the yeah. shot or funniest for the shot, you know. Yeah. So you think people just like started worshiping like the slim button music after like they stopped the aliens. Oh, I thought you meant. Like, I thought you meant in real yeah, life, like too. the sales. Did up? he get like a monument or something in the universe of Mars attacks? I'd like to think that he yeah. should be getting the medal posthumously instead of Lucas Hodge. Yeah, yeah. He, it wouldn't be cool if he showed up at the end, got the medal. 
Yeah, I don't know if the guy was alive, but maybe that would be funny if they picked a random country music star who was alive to do that. The Slim Whitman estate would have appeared. <laughs> Slim Whitman Jr. The Slim Whitman estate. <laughs> that actually be a funny gag. And his son, Conrad Whitman. Now I like to think that because... I love that shot yeah. the sunset with the, just the destroyed city. <laughs> Um, I like to think that their heads are still alive at the bottom of the ocean in a hellish like limbo for them. That they're like, oh, this is hell. Well, at least they're together. They yeah. have each other. Oh, wait, no. Th- this thumbnail is when we decide on with Tom Jones oh, at the yeah. end. <laughs> I like the, this biome of like all these different animals that I don't think would actually exist. Where they say they were going to go, like Fre- uh, Fresno. <laughs> <laughs> Just in a cave. Yeah, it's great. I also like how she's not taking it off like the like the like tiara or the gloves. She's just like, yeah, I'm keeping it all on. <laughs> That's why Tim Burton made this movie. Oh. It's actually a love letter Tom to Tom Jones, I take it yeah. back. <laughs> Is that a matte painting maybe? I think so. Looks like it. Looks all. Yeah, see this scene. We, we talked about how these are like the only characters that he has sympathy for. But even here, or like the filmmakers have sympathy for. But even here, it's like a thing where they uh, they don't take him seriously because they really make Lucas Haas look like a buffoon. Yeah. And they kind of make Natalie Portman look like a fool, Like too. she doesn't give a shit and it's kind of turns into almost like a bubbly idiot by being... Do yeah, doesn't, doesn't she even like start like trying to hit on him at yeah, the end? Yeah, she says, do you have a girlfriend or something yeah. like that. And so even like these... More sympathetic characters are sort of portrayed as just like simpletons, yeah. like kind of fools. He gives like the speech and everything. Yeah, they're one step away from like having like the uh, cutting touch of like the onlookers like looking like what the fuck. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, we get you saved the world, kid, but no. Which I guess you know. Brings us to the conclusion that this is the most nihilistic movie that Tim Burton has ever made. And that includes movies where people are getting fucking decapitated left and right. Movies like Sleepy Hollow. Get it, because I'm implying that there's another movie where he has mass decapitations. There was the uh, that pond full of heads in Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that movie in years. And I don't want to. It wasn't that bad. Mm, it wasn't that bad. But that's okay. Yeah. I'm Anyways, back, back to this. Also, I find it funny that Natalie Portman is playing the stand-in for the U.S. government here in the wake of a tragedy, and then like 20-something years later, she's playing Jackie Kennedy in a also, very sobering depiction. This looks a lot like the Star Wars throne room scene, which she later did a direct homage to in The Phantom Menace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's had a very varied career. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about this visual gag of she's like cleaning up the house like dusting as the wall has been fucking blown away. Oh yeah. I mean I guess what can you do? That's funny. I think it's a funny visual. It almost, and this could be looking to it too much, but it is almost like an extension of the whole superficiality element of the whole thing where they're focusing on the knickknacks inside when the entire wall is down. Yeah. Or, you know, I think it's it's a little bit more earnest than that here. 
Yeah. I guess it shows, yeah, they do have to start building instead of starting with the simple stuff. Uh-oh, he's back. <laughs> <laughs> Ominous music should just start playing. <laughs> the end, question mark. Oh, no. He walked all the way from Vegas. Oh, no. Kids, kids, get out. Take better things. He's pissed. What happened to the wall? He's back. That's the screenshot. That, that's a very funny shot. That was great. Somehow with a, a musical backing as well. Well, I'm Tom Jones. Um... We hope you enjoyed this commentary track for Mars Attacks. Thank you very much. This movie is very funny. Have a good night.